What are your plans for your business this year? Hey, it's Tug. Do you want to expand and grow? Aren't you exhausted by going to lenders, building a relationship, and a week later, you got a new person to deal with? You have to start all over again? You don't have that with First Liberty Building and Loan. The Frost family has been helping businesses grow since the 90s, and they want to know you. Unlike big banks, they want to partner with you. The Frost family knows the patterns. They know the ebbs and flows. They know business. Get to know them at FirstLibertyGA.com. Building a building? Buying a building? Buying a franchise? Expanding? Reach out to them. Spend 10 minutes with them. See if you're a fit for them and if they're a fit for you. You do that at FirstLibertyGA.com. And by the way, if you're a young banker and want to work with a team that is faith-friendly and has a culture of excellence, First Liberty might be a good match. Reach out to them today. First Liberty Building and Loan. FirstLibertyGA.com. That's FirstLibertyGA.com. Welcome to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA players, legends, and the top instructors in the game share their insights and playing lessons. Join Chris every Tuesday night as he talks with the greats of the game. Tonight's show is sponsored by the French Lick Resort, the PGA Tour Superstore, the Bobby Jones Apparel Company, Ben Hogan Golf, Two Under, Taylor Made Golf, and Golf Pride. Now, here's your host, Chris Mascaro. Hey, good evening, folks, and thank you for joining me tonight here on Next on the T. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro, and how you doing? If you're like me, I'm going through a little post-Masters depression. I always look forward to the tournament when it's over. It's a little sad. Now, because of this crazy year that we're in, the wait for the next Masters isn't all that long. But if this year has taught us anything, it's that six months can feel like six years. But hopefully a vaccine isn't too far away and we can all get our lives back to normal and April will be here before we know it. Before we get started, though, I always like to remind you about one of our sponsors, the McLemore, which is a wonderful community resort and golf course just 35 minutes outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee on Lookout Mountain. Now, they've just opened their new clubhouse, so go online and check out the clubhouse and the course at themaclemore.com. The course is co-designed by our good friends Bill Bergen and Reese Jones. Our friend and PGA Tour caddy Kip Henley has said, outside of Pebble Beach, it's the most beautiful 18th hole he's ever seen. See why he says that by checking out the course, the resort, and everything about the place online at themaclemore.com. All right, tonight my first guest is going to be 2011 U.S. Senior Open champion Olin Brown. And Olin's become a great friend of the show over the years. It's almost four years to the day since the first time he joined me going back to December 17th of 2016. Now, tonight we're going to talk an awful lot about the Masters with all of my guests, so we'll talk about that, of course, with Owen. Also want to get his thoughts on what he saw over the weekend, his memories from playing in the tournament, what 2021 looks like for him and the PGA Tour champion schedule, and getting his son, Owen Brown Jr., on the bag for him a couple of weeks ago. We'll hear what that was like. So really looking forward to having Owen back as part of the show. He'll join me in just a few minutes. Following him, I'm going to get a return visit from one of my favorite actors and the host of Backspin Golf, Matthew Lawrence. Not only am I going to get Matthew's thoughts on the Masters, I also want to talk about his hero, Seve Ballesteros, and look back at Seve's wins at Augusta National going back to 1980 and 83. We'll hear what's on Matthew's holiday wish list this year, plus a whole lot more. Really looking forward to having Matthew as part of the show 
He'll join me about 25 minutes from now. Then we'll round out tonight's show with a return visit from 2013 Senior Open champion Mark Wiebe. I'm going to talk to Mark about his Masters memories. He got to play in the uh, in the tournament a couple of times as well, just like Olin did. We'll also talk about a very unique thing that he was a part of at the 1989 U.S. Open at Oak Hill. Mark, Doug Weaver, Jerry Payton, Nick Price all made hole-in-ones on the par 3 sixth hole in a two-hour span. They've become known as the Four Aces. So we'll hear that story. Plus, why following his win at the 1986 Hardys Classic, he decided to forego the next event on the PGA Tour to go back to his home state of Colorado and play in a local event there. Really looking forward to having Mark back. He'll join me about 45 minutes from now. So there you have it, folks. More great stories, tips, and information are coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the Teen. As always, thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me tonight. You know, I always like to start off the show by saying hello to my good friends, Mitch and Matthew Lawrence. Now, Matthew's going to be a part of the show tonight. Let's talk about Mitch's show, and it is called Talking Golf Getaways. You can find it online at GolfTripX.com or over on Audioboom, Stitcher, or Player.fm. He and his co-host, Darren Bunch, are going to let you know about great places to go stay and play around the U.S. and Canada, and also about some of the hidden gem courses that you might not be aware of. Folks, if you love golf and travel, their show marries those two things better than anyone's out there. They're fantastic hosts, and those guys are even better people. And like I say, Matthew's going to be a part of the show tonight. His show is called Backspin Golf. As you guys know, it's my regular Sunday morning, 8.03 a.m. Eastern Tea Time, because Matthew and his guests are so fantastic. Now, you can stream the show by going online to WLXG.com or by downloading the WLXG app. Tune in, folks. I know you're going to love his show. And, folks, this segment of Next on the Tee is brought to you by our friends over at TaylorMade and their TP5 and TP5X golf balls, played by now Masters champion Dustin Johnson, John Rahm, Rory McIlroy, Ricky Fowler, and Jason Day. It is certainly the hottest tour ball in golf. Now, I know you know those names, but thousands of other golfers have already made the switch to TaylorMade TP5 and TP5X. It's also available in high-visibility yellow. Are you the next to make the switch? Check it out online by going to TaylorMadeGolf.com for more information. All right, now back, and I'm honored to say this, making his ninth appearance with me here on Next on the Tee is Olin Brown. Let me remind you about Olin's background. He's from Washington, D.C., played his college golf out at Occidental College in L.A. He joined the golf team as a sophomore and gradually moved his way up to being their number one player. He was named a first-team all-conference, that's all SCIAC in 1980 and 82, was inducted into their Golf Hall of Fame in 1997, and now their Golf Annual MVP Award is named in his honor. He turned pro in 1984. He won four times out on the Corn Ferry Tour, twice in 1991, once in 93, and again in 96. He's won three times on the regular tour at the 1998 Greater Hartford Open by chipping in, oh, by the way, from 40 feet to defeat Stewart Sink in a playoff. He also won at the 1999 Colonial and the 2005 Deutsche Bank Championship. In 2005, he was named the PGA Tour Comeback Player of the Year. He's won twice so far out on the PGA Tour champions, including the 2011 U.S. Senior Open and the 2015 Greater Gwinnett Championship here in Atlanta. In all, on the PGA Tour champions, he has those two wins, plus 48 top 10s and 118 top 25s. And it's a thrill to have him back with me again tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, Olin, how are you, my friend? Hey, Chris. Great to be with you again. 
can't believe nine times. I'm going to have to start paying <laughs> <his> royalty again. <laughs> Indeed. I can't believe it's nine times either. I appreciate the fact that you indulge me this many times. Thanks for being a part of the show. You're always uh, uh, one of my favorites. Well, it's always a pleasure being invited. So let's start off. Obviously, we got to start with the Masters. want to get your thoughts, first of all, on what you saw from, from Dustin Johnson. Obviously, uh, a, a wonderful event for him, and uh, now gets that a second major to his resume. Got a little dicey on Sunday. Had a nice four-stroke lead going in, and I was starting to get a little worried about him when he bogeyed four and five and then hit it in the bunker on seven, but uh, regrouped really well and, and then obviously pulls away. Your thoughts on what you saw from him? Uh, patient greatness is when somebody makes something look easy. And to your point about things got a little bit tight, you know, he started the day with a four-shot lead, and it was pretty apparent that he was he was likely going to be the winner. Um, but there in the middle of the front nine, he ran into a little bit of trouble and um, just never looked flustered in any way, brought it right back, and then kind of never any such thing as coasting to victory. It's uh, But I think the mark of greatness when a guy uh, can make can make something look so uh, – I mean, he just doesn't ever look like he's out of sorts and he never looks like he's out of position. And, uh, you know, he's got so much talent that, that you just knew that he was going to, you know, you felt that he was going to pull it out in the end. And maybe the ultimate irony is, is one of the longest hitters, if not the longest guy on the PGA Tour, laid up on both par fives on the back nine Sunday and still buried in them both. So let's, let's talk a little bit. You mentioned greatness. Right, and when uh, when you think of that, obviously we we think of Tiger Woods now, and um, and and Hal Sutton tweeted this out, and uh, I thought it was spot on. I, I think Tiger taught all of us something, particularly junior players, by what happened to him on twelve. And the guy goes out and puts three balls in the water, makes a ten, and then comes right back, birdies thirteen, and then five out of his last six holes. To me, that that says something because I think a lot of us would have, at least I know I would have, gone straight in the tank after that, been frustrated, been mad, and just sort of mailed it in for the last several holes. And that guy doesn't. He comes back and plays that way. I want to get your thoughts on what you saw from Tiger after the 10. Uh, so you're right. Greatness is a term that's bandied about. And I mean, true greatness is identified as identifiable as historic in one way or another. And, you know, Tiger continues to make 43 years uh, old. And um, he's just, to, to my mind, the ultimate competitor. He never, ever mails it in. I've never seen him do anything half-cooked on the golf course. And it really is a testament to how hard the game is and what it extracts out of, out of individuals at the highest level of competition. That a guy like that, who is inarguably the greatest player of his generation and in the conversation is one of the two greatest of all time, and that's indisputable, um, just in terms of their record. Um, the fact that this guy refuses to to uh, relinquish anything for the game, and he may not he may not rise out and be on top every single time, but he is. He's not going to cheat anybody in terms of his effort. Oh, well, and you mentioned, you know, DJ is one of the longest hitters for sure. 
Another guy who's a long hitter, Bryson DeChambeau. The, the talk heading into the tournament was how Bryson was going to, you know, kind of quote unquote break Augusta National. He's going to go in there and goodness knows what score he was going to shoot because he had nothing longer than a seven iron, according to Sandy Lyle in a practice round that they played. Nothing longer than a seven iron into any hole out there. And uh, and then that certainly doesn't come to pass. Want to get your thoughts on on uh, Bryson, and then uh, what you saw from him this weekend as well. Well, the truth is, uh, to answer your second question first, we didn't get to see much of Bryson because he was never one of the protagonists of the week. He was the story going in, and what he's been doing, altering his body and um, trying to uh, fully assault the, the the distance metric on the PGA Tour. Um, he has been in the topic of conversation virtually every week, and he's demonstrated remarkable success this year. Um, he turned what is one of the hardest golf courses in all golf, Wingfoot, into a cakewalk for him. He won by six shots. Interesting that the last two matches have been dominated so by the players who have won. Um, but I think Bryson is, is injecting himself into the conversation. Um, he's now a major champion, and he has really, you know, he's caught. He said, when I leave, uh, I'm coming back a lot different. And he proved it this year. He's had a heck of a year. Certainly, he is accelerating the conversation on the distance debate in golf and what kind of an impact uh, that is having on the setup of golf courses and, you know, the design of them. You mentioned Bill Bergen and Macklemore before. I'm sure that as an architect, Bill would have plenty of interesting uh, thoughts on as it pertains to guys who are carrying the ball 330, 340, 350 yards on some occasions, and what's that doing relative to the um, to the architectural integrity of golf? Well, and I want to go back to your time playing in, in the Masters. You had a, a few opportunities to play at Augusta National. What are some of your favorite memories from being a part of the tournament? Well, I think, obviously, the first time that you ever get to go down Magnolia Lane, it, um, you know, there are only a few things in that you experience in life that exceed expectations. Um, you know, marrying your wife, having a child, um, you know, a, a, something that it, somebody sets a goal and accomplishes there. Um, you know, when you dream, I think Bubba Watson said it really, really well when he won the Masters because I, ne- I never dreamed this big, you know. And, and I think when you when you get to experience something that you've all wanted to, um, that it has a special place in your heart. And obviously the first time you drive down Magnolia Lane, it's just an extraordinary, extraordinary day. Well, and I want to go back to this season for you out on uh, the PGA Tour Champions. Had to be a kind of a surreal year. I mean, it's obviously been a crazy year for all of us. But getting back out there, no fans at the event, uh, kind of living life in a bubble, being tested, if not every day, you know, at least having your temperature taken every day, just kind of had to be strange. What was it like for you being out on the champions tour this year? Well, I think like everybody else who uh, went back and played, we were all willing to do whatever we had to do to maintain our, uh, our health and our well-being and, and do whatever we could to contribute to the normal function of tournament play. And so, you know, we had the testing on a weekly basis. We had to we had to take a test before we got on the plane. You know, Saturdays uh, when we had consecutive events, and and uh, we lived in a bubble. You know, and people didn't 
patronized restaurants. We didn't go to movies. We stayed kind of to ourselves and separated ourselves. Once we got inside the gates, we were, you know, there were no fans. There were a handful of volunteers, fewer than ever before, and tournament staff and the whole thing. So, I mean, um, I think the PGA Tour, the PGA Tour Champions, the Corn Ferry, they did a, a remarkable job getting us playing at all. I think golf is one of those kinds of games and an environment where, you know, social distancing is um, is achievable. We're outdoors, by and large. That seems to have a less of an impact on transmission and so forth. So, you know, I think I think golf actually um, held itself to a pretty high standard, and we managed to get almost all the way there. So, I'm looking forward to 2021, and our schedule is going to be released here shortly, and I'm um, hopeful that we can get back to some semblance of normalcy. I think that uh, you know, the, every day that goes by, there's more and more information on on what this uh, crazy uh, disease or virus, uh, how, how it can be managed, and how we can better um, handle it. And uh, hopefully we can get back to, like I said, some sense of normalcy and get back to life. A couple of weeks ago at the uh, Timber Tech Championship, you had the opportunity to have your son, Owen Brown Jr., on the bag. What was that like for you guys? Well, he actually worked for me the last three weeks of the year. My uh, my caddy is six years, Sandy Armour, great guy. Um, got an opportunity to go to work for Darren Clark, and it paid off for both of them. They happened to win Timber Tech, which was great. I mean, uh, couldn't be happier for either one of those guys. Uh, both of them great guys, hardworking, and uh, Darren's going to have a long, very fruitful career on the PGA Tour Champions. But I had the great opportunity. My son, uh, his tournament schedule was over for the year, and and so uh, he came out to work for me for a couple of weeks. And, you know, he's, uh, he's my firstborn, and, and he's, a, he's just a great guy to be around and a lot of fun. You know what? For anybody who has kids, they know exactly what it's like for a parent to be able to spend quality time like that with a child, son or daughter. And, uh, uh, you know, I wouldn't trade it for anything. When he looks ahead to 21, do you know what his plans are? Yeah, he's going to be trying to qualify for Fort Ferry stuff playing wherever he can play he's uh he's on the outside looking in but you know he's working hard we're out at pebble beach for the taylor made tournament he, we uh we've come out we've been invited both of us to play out here which is terrific and we played practice around at spanish bay today in about a 35 mile an hour win so um you know we've got this is our last event of the year and uh and so we'll we'll wrap that up and head back have thanksgiving with everybody and kind of gear down for the holiday season and get ready for next season, next year. Is there a downtime for you now? I mean, when, when this event is over, is it sort of rest and recovery for, for your body or, you know, you're hitting the gym and, and just keep hitting golf balls until they tell you, hey, here's, here's where the next tournament's going to be, whether that's in January or whenever. Yeah, you know, uh, we'll slow down a little bit, um, let the little aches and pains try, try and let those go away for a couple of weeks and and uh, figure out when we start up next year. You know, the the gym thing is a drive-by for me. I kind of I kind of look out the passenger side of the car when I see the gym sign. <laughs> keep moving. I, I, I'm not, not a huge fan of that whole whole thing. And you know, to my detriment. But I also, you know, I'm not I'm not uh, causing myself any unnecessary aches and pains either. But um, you know, I I like uh, I like the casual. Uh, casual nature of a long walk spoiled mark Twain called it uh as it pertains to golf and uh we'll just take it easy and 
rest up and get get cleared up mentally, uh, refreshed, and ready to go when the season starts up. Well, when you're 61 years young, seeing a guy like Bernard Longer at 63, not only still winning out on the Champions Tour, but making the cut at the Masters this past weekend, oh, by the way, and then, you know, guys like Tom Kite at age 70 still out there at it, Hale Irwin making appearances at 75 out on the Champions Tour. He's still playing. Is that inspirational for you to not only say, you know what, I, I can still compete out here, but look at these guys. I can still probably win out here. Well, um, greatest Champions Tour players uh, in our history. You've got Hale Irwin, who's won 45 events um, and is, uh, you know, in the Hall of Fame. And you've got Bernhard Longer, who's trying to chase him down and is the most thoroughly detailed person I've ever been around. He's ultra fit, ultra competitive. Um, he loves the idea of getting his game ready to return to Augusta National, and he acquitted himself nicely, and to no one's surprise. Um, he made the cut and finished, he finished strongly. You know, for a guy who's 63 years old on that golf course, which was absolutely soaking wet, uh, played extra long. Um, for him to perform at that level, I, I'm sure gives all of us aged guys a little bit of hope and optimism looking forward. But I, I cannot speak to the greatness of both of those guys enough. They're, they're uh, both incredible competitors. They are really uh, enjoyable people to be around. Um, and their records are just extraordinary. On a few weeks ago, you retweeted a story from the PGA of America about Tim Rosefort uh, being named an honorary member of the PGA. And uh, Tim is the bar, as far as I'm concerned, about reporting, particularly with respect to uh, the game of golf. He's as good as it gets. And uh, for those folks who don't know, Tim retired uh, due to early onset of Alzheimer's. Talk about your relationship with Tim over the years. Well, like anybody who plays golf, um, at, at any level, professional level, uh, I've known Tim for a long while. Um, Tim is one of those guys, as you say, he's the he's the benchmark for golf. He was the hardest working guy in the business. Um, he was a guy who who would ask a question and then and then give the exact representation of what was said um, without any equivocation whether or not he agreed with the answer or he never had an agenda, never brought an agenda to the conversation. I think Tim Rosefort had the utmost respect from everybody. And uh, he wasn't just a guy who reported on golf. He loved golf. I mean, we used to play at the club quite often. We'd go out and play nine holes when he had time. And he was working so hard that he very rarely was able to get out, get away, come up and hit the ball or whatever. But, you know, he was just as inquisitive about how to play the game as he was about reporting what was happening in the game. And, um, you know, what he's going through as a young man, I mean, he's in his mid-60s, that's awfully young, struggling with this kind of problem, um, you know, should give us all a little bit of pause. And uh, I know that I speak for all of my peers out on the PGA Tour champions and everybody who has met him along the way, that we all wish him nothing but the best and hope that, you know, this thing is uh, – it's more and more manageable as days go by, even though, you know, um, these kinds of things tend to tend to cause, you know, a lot of internal strife, consternation, and so forth. It's just a sad thing, you know. I mean, his guy used his mind 
his entire career. I mean, really used his mind. I mean, he was a beautiful writer, and he had a great approach to things. He had he developed great relationships with all the people, tip to toe, and everywhere around. And testimony to that is uh, is uh, the PGA of America Stadium honorary membership. Um, it's it's a terrific honor and well deserved. And uh, you know, everybody loves him, and we all wish him the very best. Amen to that. Oh, and just a couple more before I let you go. And uh, as I was looking back over your career, I looked at 2015 uh, when you went back to Inverness for the first time since uh, your U.S. Senior Open Championship victory there in 2011. And you did a clinic for the first tee of Erie. Talk about your involvement with the first tee. And then I saw you hold out for Eagle to win the exhibition match that got played that day there. Um, really good to be invited back. <laughs> Alan Bell put that together, and I went back, and, and I met some of the young kids involved with the first tee. Among them was a young man named Will Grimmer, who was about to attend Ohio State. He's graduated, and he's still professional, and I run into him every now and then when I'm out on Corn Ferry with my son, Olin, or I just see him in passing. Um, and so it's great It's great to be asked. It's great that anybody cares enough about what you did that you think you can make an impact on someone else. And so be invited to participate in anything like that. Uh, it's such a tremendous honor, and I always look forward to those opportunities. And I love, I love seeing what these young kids are doing in golf. I mean, it's just extraordinary. The talent and the depth of the talent is so remarkable. I mean, um, there's such better information. We live in the information age. It doesn't just apply to news uh, or research. It applies to sport and you know fitness and everything else. So the young, the young players are so much better prepared and so much younger. Uh, uh, that, that they're really they're they're committing an assault on the game, you know. Whereas guys have to go through junior golf and then college golf and then they, you know, tunnel around Asia or European tour before they get to the PGA tour. Then they spend a few years getting their legs under them. Everybody said their career started when they were thirty, you know, when their mid thirties was their prime. Well, these kids are coming out when they're twenty years old and they're ready to rock and roll and they're doing it, and it's pretty impressive. Pretty impressive stuff. Well, and I want to get a, a playing lesson or some advice from you. Uh, I saw a video where you talked about how, in, in order to improve your game, you should start at the hole and work your way backwards. And I think a lot of us amateurs, we're, we're the opposite direction. We think chicks dig the long ball, so we're out there, you know, hammering drivers on the on the driving range, thinking that's where we're going to save ourselves strokes when it's probably the opposite way. Talk about why we should start at the hole and work our way backwards. Well, I mean, chicks do dig, dig the long ball, but the bottom line is that the score is what really counts in this game, and you don't get to shoot the score until you hole out, so or post the score until you hole out. So uh, I'm old school in that regard. I know there are a lot of people who have written about it, Mark Brody, Scott Foster, people like that who have you know their analytics going and their statistics, but the bottom line is still have to get the ball in the jar. Now, how you do that is kind of individual, and it, it, uh, it varies player to player. Um, you know, you see people who are remarkable ball strikers who have had great success, and you see people with a remarkable short game who have great success. And I would counsel any player. Um, first of all, it's less wear and tear to work on your putting and your chipping than it is on your, on your full golf swing. Find out what his strength is or her strength and work on that. But then identify weaknesses. If you have a weakness, Turn those weaknesses into a strength. I mean, the players who are really great in Justin Thompson's spring in the summer, 
full circle is the perfect example of that. You know, he showed up and he was able to bomb it, always was able to bomb it. And what really made him the greatest player on tour right now, a two-time major champion and the number one ranked player in the world, is his, is his dedication to his short game and his wedge play. And now Dustin Johnson is in proof is in the footing. On 13, he had to lay up and he wedged it close and made the putt. And on 15, he had to lay up and wedged it close and made the putt. The last week in Augusta. So here's a guy who doesn't have any weaknesses in his game. His arsenal is tip to toe. Drives long and straight. He's a brilliant iron player. He has great distance control with his short with his uh, short club, and his short game has really improved. His putty is remarkable. So I don't see Dustin Johnson going away anytime soon. And you see guys rise and fall to number one. You've seen lots of guys get to number one and then back off number two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. You haven't seen a lot of those guys get to number one, fall back, get back to number one, fall back, get back to number one. DJ may be the only guy who's done it for us uh, with any consistency. So here's a guy in his mid 30s who has every edge in his set in a long while. is maintained that as long as everything is tidy uh, in his life, I think he'll be a force for a long while. Olin, what happened to my favorite online DJ? At Olin Brown on Twitter. Every day I used to go out there look, to find out what uh, what the song of the day was. I, you sort of disappeared on me. I did. You know, I did it for about three years, Chris. And the truth is I started re- repeating songs so often I, I got kind of tired of them. You know, now I've, <laughs> to your point, I've, had, I've had a number of people start asking me that, that question. You know, uh, people who come out and watch and go, hey, song of the day again. And I go, you know what? kind of thing that maybe it comes back um and i certainly look to do it but boy but there, there were some mornings where i'd spend 20 minutes trying to find an appropriate song and i really got tired of it you know but <laughs> uh, i'm getting like like you say getting more and more requests and uh, you never know might might pop back in gear here oh and before i let you go remind our listeners how they can stay up to date with all the great things you're doing and follow you online and on social media yeah, I'm on Twitter at Owen Brown, um, and that's pretty much all all uh, all the social media I do. I don't do Facebook, and uh, I got an Instagram page, but I'm never on it. Uh, follow us all on Get Tour Champions. We've got a great group of guys out there, and it's really good golf. Um, and the guys out there are really approachable too. You know, you reach out on Twitter and you want to talk to to one of us. You know, you get a response, good, bad, or indifferent. You may not like what you hear, but you may as well. So. Just follow golf, you know, support the game. Let's all get out and play the greatest game I've ever played, the greatest game I've ever been associated with. I had the chance to interact with guys like guys like you. I mean, how much better can golf be? It's just a terrific, terrific place. Agreed. Owen, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to come back and be a part of the show. I'm already looking to visit number 10. Hopefully that's, uh, that's very soon. In between now and then, be- stay safe, my friend. And you as well. Get my weaves when he comes on. And uh, first thing you should say to him is, hey, man, he'll know what it means. <laughs> All right. I'll do that. Take care, Owen. Happy holidays to you and your family. We'll catch up soon. Right back at you. Be well. See you, Owen. That's a great Owen Brown. And, folks, um, he's, a, he's a great follow on Twitter, at Owen Brown. And uh, if you're not sure, 
uh, the spelling of his last name has an E on the end, so B-R-O-W-N-E. But Owen Brown is, a, a, as you can tell, again, nine times on the show, a great human being, a great player, and, uh, and a great steward of the game. So when you get uh, all of those things uh, wrapped together, you're going to have a special segment. And uh, just like tonight, uh, the eight previous ones were uh, were just as uh, as wonderful as the one that uh, we just had. So looking forward to catching up with Owen really soon. And uh, and like I say, give him a follow on Twitter. Hopefully we get that song of the day back. He was fantastic. That's one of the first things I would do every morning is go on Twitter and uh, look up his account to see what the song of the day was going to be for that day. All right, before I get to my next guest, Matthew Lawrence, I want to give a shout-out to a couple of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at the Ben Hogan Golf Company. At Ben Hogan Golf, they manufacture some of the finest golf equipment in the world in their small factory in Fort Worth, Texas. That's because they build each club by hand using the same process Mr. Hogan created when he started his company 65 years ago. They call it micromanufacturing, so no mass production, no shortcuts, Visit them online at BenHoganGolf.com to learn more about their tour quality products and factory direct prices. also want to give a shout out to our friends over at Golf Pride. In golf, light grip pressure releases power. Golf Pride engineered a secret the pros know. A larger lower hand encourages lighter pressure. Plus 4 technology is designed with four additional layers, which reduces tension in the lower hand to generate more power. Play Plus 4 and release the secret the pros know. Now available on Tour Velvet, the winningest grip on Tour. Grip confidence, grip golf pride. And folks, this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends at the PGA Tour Superstore. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show. All right, now back with me here on Next on the T is one of my all-time favorite actors, radio hosts, and people on the planet for that matter, and that's Matthew Lawrence. You guys hear me talking about Matthew's show Backspin Golf every week at the top of the show because it's fantastic and it's the best way to start your Sunday mornings. You can stream it online by going to WLXG.com or on the WLXG app. Earlier this year, Matthew was recognized by the PGA of America's Kentucky section as their media representative of the year for his great contributions to the game. Among Matthew's great work on screen are his stellar performance as bass player Salamato in one of my top five favorite movies of all time, Eddie and the Cruisers. You've probably also seen him on Saturday Night Live. He was a part of the sixth season there. He was also on Beverly Hills 90210, One Tree Hill 30-something. The list of shows goes on and on. Matthew was also a sideline reporter for Duke and Kentucky Basketball. He's just a tremendous talent, and I'm very excited he's back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Good evening, Matthew. How are you, my friend? Uh, uh, I'm good, Chris. Keep going. Just keep listing <laughs> things that I've done. Keep going. This is good. I, you know, I'm at a point in my life where I need validation, so I don't get it that often. So <laughs> I'm doing well. Well, look. And uh, as as always, it's great to talk to you. <laughs> hey, look, I got you sandwiched between two major champions and Owen Brown and Mark Wiebe. I, I mean, you know, I, I, dude. I, as I always, as I always say, whenever I am lucky enough to be on next on the day, I, I look at the lineup of the shows that I've done. And I'm like, what am I doing here? 
what, what, what? I mean, so tonight is no exception. Uh, I just listened to a good part of, of Olin's um, talk with you, and he's fantastic. What a what a great guy, and and uh, yeah, two major champions. But you know, part of me realizes that that's where I belong. I I, I belong <laughs> surrounded by champions like that. <laughs> Indeed, you do. Yeah. All right, so uh, we got to jump in and talk Masters, and I and I want to start sort of uh, with the pre-Masters hype because going in, and that, and I know you don't like to mention his name, you like to refer to him only as Briceps or the Hulk, but uh, Shambo was was going to go into the into Augusta National. He was going to you know destroy the course. He was going to you know, shoot some crazy low score. He was hitting nothing more than seven iron into any of the holes. Um, and then obviously uh, none of that worked out and he finished tied for 34th. That had to make you smile. You know, it's really interesting because I, I kind of half kid around about this and I'm on uh, as well as backspin golf. I do a daily drive time show on ESPN here in Lexington, Kentucky. And, Leading up to the Masters, and even before that, um, I want to make it clear how much I admire what he has done. Um, The respect that I think everybody should have for him in not only adding the weight and doing all that, the work that he's done to get to the point where he is now uh, is staggering, and nobody else has been willing to do it. I I acknowledge all that. And the thing I actually do like about him is that he doesn't care what anybody thinks. He's doing this for himself. And that's something that we all can learn from. If, if It should be about him. It shouldn't be about, well, he looks funny or his putting grip is horrible. or He doesn't care. And for the most part, what he's done, as we saw at Wingfoot, is pretty remarkable. Now, having said that, I don't like him. And most of my uh, opinions about sports figures and ass, and we all have them, they're very kind of personal things. So when I'll tell you what the capper was before the Masters. When he said he considered Augusta to be a par 67 for him, I lost my mind, basically. And... uh so that whole four days of all the things that happened to him, and I thought the the lost ball was a, a really bad break, but I thought it was pretty ridiculous. Uh, I know it's the rules of golf, but I thought he got hosed on that. They found that ball right after they stopped looking. But all the other things that happened to him, I enjoyed because I thought, You know, Chris, we all talk about, especially during these times with a lot of things going on, don't say the quiet part out loud is a popular phrase now. Well, there was no reason for him to come out and say, I think it's a par 67 for me. None. And so when he goes out and does what he does, um, I'll tell you what my favorite part of the entire series was, other than DJ winning, which I thought was great, was that Bernhard Langer, 63-year-old Bernhard Langer, who averaged 250 off the tee, finished at three under par. 
and Mr. Par 67 finished at two under par. I thought that was the greatest statement about golf of the whole time, maybe of the whole year, and also what Larry Mize did. Um, so the whole Masters experience for me, I forget, what was the question? <laughs> I'm just <laughs> rambling. I'm rambling. Here. Um, <laughs> um, yes, that's about Bryson. Uh, okay, would you like me to continue with the Masters? Please. Would you like me? Just keep going. Okay. Yeah, no, you, right, you just yeah, keep you, going. You could just roll I'm out. just sitting I'll here. take over here. Okay, all right, good. <laughs> um, here's the other thing, uh, one of the many things I loved about the Masters. And I've been saying this ever since we came back to playing uh, when the pandemic started. I love watching golf, any tournament, without the fans. I understand that we need the fans in golf. I get all that. I'm talking about just for me, the experience of watching these tournaments on TV with no fans has been glorious because we see the entire golf course, which we never do. And that was a hundred times uh, more important to me watching the four days at Augusta. Um, now, having said that, I also pray every day that by April, when we have the next Masters, we have thousands of fans there and that we, we are all back to where we want to be. But for these four days uh, and ha being blessed enough to have been at Augusta a couple of years ago, it's the only time I've been there. But to see that golf course, the way you or I, if we were ever lucky enough to play that golf course, the way we would see it without stands, without thousands of people on the course was the greatest. Um, all the areas around the greens where balls were rolling 30 feet away from the putting surface, that never happens because there's patrons sitting around the greens. All of those things, for me, made it just I, – I, I, you miss the roars when things happen. But other than that, I thought the TV experience of watching it with no fans, one of the best things uh, about golf this year. See, that's interesting that you went that direction. When you started talking about enjoying it without the fans, and I'm with you, being able to see all of the all of the grounds and all of that sort of thing, I thought was fantastic as well. But I thought you were going to go more towards, you know, not liking hearing, you know, the guy yelling, we don't hear this at Augusta National because they'll escort you right off the golf course. But in, in for right. other tournaments, the guy yelling mashed potatoes or getting a hole or all of those oh, sorts of things. Now, that I've enjoyed, I, not having that. Well, me too, but, and I'll tell you, the week before in the Houston tournament, where there was the first tournament they had, very, not that many fans, it just goes to show you what knuckleheads these people are. I mean, they had one guy. There were there may be 20 people around the tee box, and there was one guy who screamed, I don't even know. It made me miss mashed potatoes. I don't even know what he was yelling. <laughs> I mean, and as soon as it happened, I went, see, this is what, keep fans off the golf course. Just keep them off. The only place they should be allowed is on the 16th hole in Phoenix. That's the only place they should be allowed all year, fans, is <laughs> at that par three where they can scream and yell and do whatever they want. But, yeah. 
Matthew, I know what a what a huge fan of Tiger Woods you are, and uh, and it certainly wasn't his week, and I don't think the conditions and and playing the number of holes on Saturday that he had to play were really conducive to him playing well. Uh, but I, mm-hmm. I want to get your thought, and I talked to Owen Brown about this in the last segment. To his credit, he took a 10 on number 12 on, on Sunday. Uh, and I think a lot of us, probably you and me for sure, would have thrown it in at that point. We'd have gotten so mad, you know, it would just have been a throwaway the last guy. Who knows what we would have shot over the last several holes. But, um, but not him. Right, comes back and he birdies 13, he birdies five of his last six holes. To me, that speaks volumes about his greatness and was a heck of a lesson to us and the junior golfers that were watching how he recovered from that and then played that well coming in. Kind of wanted to get your thoughts on that. Well, I mean, you basically just said it. Uh, uh, when he finished within 30 seconds, I put that on Twitter. That. This is why, to me, in my opinion, he's the greatest of all time, was exactly what happened there. Now, he's never made a 10 in a major championship before, but that experience of watching him, and look, all I wanted him to do going into the week was A, make the cut, first of all, and then B, I don't even want to say competitive. I didn't expect him to be among the leaders on Sunday. I really didn't. I just wanted him to play well. And uh, I think w- whatever he would say, he, he always goes into a tournament uh, thinking to win it. That's it, period. He doesn't care about finishing second. So when he took that 10, it, he knew he, by that time anyway, he knew he wasn't going to win the golf tournament. But for him to birdie five of the last six holes, on that got we saw what it did to other people on that day. For him to do that is the reason I think he's the greatest that ever played the game. Uh, with apologies, or not apologies, to Jack. Um, and that's a whole other discussion for me. But um, it was astounding. It actually, when he tapped in to finish on 18, I actually had tears in my eyes with what I had just witnessed. That's how much, and I agree a thousand percent with you, especially with junior golfers and golf coaches. And because they will show that and talk about that for years to come. And, you know, his impact in the game, just when you think maybe it's, it's waned, he comes up with something like that. And they'll, I mean this, they'll use that as a teaching point and a lesson a life lesson for junior golfers for years to come. It was fantastic. So let's talk about the guy that won the tournament and Dustin Johnson. Now you talk about a guy, you go back to the beginning of August, you know, finished tied for 12th at the WGC event in Memphis, tied for second at the PGA, mm-hmm. blew away the field at the Northern Trust, finished second at the BMW championship, obviously won the FedEx cup at the tour championship. And then tie for six at the U.S. Open, tie for second at the Houston Open, and then wins the Masters. That's a that's a heck of a run. It seems like this is a guy that's going to be poised to be either number one or right at it, uh, right around it, I should say, for a long time. Your thoughts on on sort of the run that we've seen Dustin Johnson do the second half of the year? Yeah, but wait a minute, Chris. Come on. I mean, he only won twice or 
through it, whatever it was. Come on. He wasn't that great. Seriously. I mean, you know, you're acting like guy won every week. Uh, uh, um, you, know, you know what gets me about the whole that whole experience? He played really well the week before. Uh, and he also had to deal with taking some time off because of COVID, um, all of that stuff. He was playing really well. He shot 30 under not too long before the Masters. And it was like, this is another thing about Bryson that got me. All anybody, I loved how annoyed all the other guys got when in the press tent when they were all questioned. You know, what do you think about Bryson? Like, I loved Brooks Kepka's face when they asked him that question. I mean, and it was the same thing with DJ. I mean, even though he was the betting favorite, it was almost like people, and then what really, one of the things I'm happiest about him winning that tournament is they even did it on their coverage over and over again. How many times, uh, and the coverage of golf tournaments is, I could do five shows on that, but how many times did they bring up that he had four times had lost 54 hole leads in major championships? Over, over, over and over again and everybody started thinking when that lead was cut to two people everybody started going here we go here we go all he needs is one bad shot and here we go so i love how he finished on sunday um it's a testament to how hard he worked on his game um he had he's gone through rough patches in his career like tiger almost Personally, um, professionally, the talent obviously is immense. Um, to see where he's come, kind of startling. And for anybody to be able to drive the ball the way he does, to have worked on his short game, I heard uh, Owen talking about, and his putting to the point where he could do what he did at Augusta is is really pretty amazing. And if he can stay injury-free if he doesn't get hurt in any way. I mean, he's going to be here for a long time. They can talk all about Bryceps and all the young guys, but he's uh, he could have weak runs like this uh, where he's top three and winning almost every week uh, if he stays injury-free. And, you know, it's a, we're living in a pretty great time in terms of golf, Chris. I don't know if you know that. I've heard that we're we're living in a pretty great time uh, with people like DJ and the young guys. I mean, all of them, the the games in in pretty good hands for, I think for a long time coming. And as the FedEx cup champion and he's got the FedEx cup lead. I know how much you like this, you know, with nine months to go in the FedEx cup. Yeah. He's got the, uh, he's got the lead. Yeah, you uh, and he's not giving it up. You know, you more more than anybody know. The most exciting thing to me when the, every new year starts is after the first six holes, they'll put up who's leading in the FedEx Cup race, which is ten months away for the Tour Championship. <laughs> I love that. So I'm very happy. <laughs> I forget winning the green jacket. He's now in the FedEx Cup lead. That's the important. Thing. That's right. You're right. Right. Yeah. <laughs>
Matthew, just a couple more before I let you go, and I know what a huge Seve Ballesteros fan you are, but uh, were you were you into golf when were you into Seve back when he won his Green Jackets in eighty and eighty three? You know, it's a great question. Um, I wasn't. I actually only started playing. I had just started playing golf. I had just moved to Los Angeles. Uh, I've said this before on your show. When I lived in New York and growing up, we used to beat guys up that played golf. I mean, get golf. What are you kidding me? From when we were from New York. And then I moved to L.A. in 1981, 82, and started playing because my brother, Mitchie, my twin brother, was living there and had started playing. So I was aware because I was a huge sports fan. So I was always aware of Seve. Um, he was a rock star to me, even back then, even though I had just started playing golf. Um, and my admiration and my love for him just continued to grow. Um, the very first email address I ever got, which is still my email, which I won't give out, but contains the word Seve in it. Um, that's how long. And so it was in, in the 80s. I don't remember how long because I'm very old and my memory is gone now. But um, <laughs> uh, he's and the great thing, this is, you know, Twitter brought us together. Um, so many of the most important people in my life now are people that I've never actually met that I, through Twitter and through golf. Um, we've come together, but uh, I always tweet stuff about Seve, pictures or videos or different things. And both his sons, Javier and Miguel, uh, tweet back at me and retweet my stuff. And, and it, it, it's amazing. It actually brings a tear to my eye that Seve's sons are sitting with their phones uh, in Spain, and I'll tweet how much I love Seve. And they'll like my tweet, knowing that it's his sons that are seeing my love for their dad. Um, I actually showed my 14-year-old son videos of Seve the other day. Uh, I was watching the Masters, and they put something up about Seve, and I said to Lee, "I want here, I want to show you something. I want you to see the coolest guy ever. <laughs> and he laughed. And I showed him a couple of videos of, of Seve, and uh, he was he was fascinated. So um, there's just, to me, there's never been anybody like him in the game of golf um, in in many ways. But he uh, he's always been a big part of, of why I love the game of golf. Matthew, I know you're an award-winning member now of the Kentucky section of the PGA of America and a fantastic Wait, golfer on. who really Chris, has no weaknesses. Chris. Yeah. Yeah, right. That's true. Hold it. I did. Uh, sorry, I lost my phone. Went out for a second. Could you repeat what you just said? <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I'm having trouble with my phone. I, I didn't hear what was that? Something PGA something what? about something? an award-winning member of yeah. the Kentucky section oh, yeah. of the PGA of America. I've seen pictures. Yes. So I know yes, it. I know it has to be real. Photoshop. So, yeah, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> So being the fantastic golfer that we know you are and uh, a guy who really yeah, doesn't whatever. have any weaknesses in his game, yeah. Um, yeah, if you're going to be working on something uh, this winter, what might it be? It will be my chipping. That's what it will be. And um, luckily here in Lexington, we we have 
the finest practice facility that I've ever seen. It's called Man of War Golf, and uh, they have heated bays and, and just incredible putting greens, and um, it's it's the best place to practice I've ever seen. And I get not too far from my house, so I have made actually a, a vow to myself this winter, if it's not snowing and it's above 35, I'm going to take time each week um, to work on, mostly on my short game. Um, I mean, I'll hit some balls, I'll hit some drivers, but I need to work on my chipping because, you know, as I always say to my brother, I'll go out and look, I'm old, okay? I'm an old guy. But I still, when I play, if I'm hitting it fairly well, I shot 80 the other day at a pretty tough golf course. I mean, that's pretty good. And I'll call my brother and I'll say, hey, Mitchie, I shot 82 today, and if I if I I had five chips, I could have shot. And he stops me right away and he says, "Well, really? Well, uh, how many balls did you did you take an hour and chip out of Man of War this week? No. Then shut up." He always <laughs> says it to me, <laughs> and he's right. Um, so I'm I'm really going to concentrate on that this winter and. Um, People, you know, Perry French, who you know, who's my partner on my show, on Backspin Golf, um, we always talk about this. And uh, actually, here's here's a tip for those lists real quick. Uh, on Backspin Golf, I had a fantastic guy named Eric Cagorno. Uh, and people listening should go to YouTube and type in Eric Cagorno, C-O-G-O-R-N-O, golf. And look at his videos. He's fantastic. But he said something really interesting. He said, when you go to the range to practice, here's how you do it. The only way you do it. First you putt, and then you chip, and then you go hit balls. Because if you go hit balls first, which most people do, you're not going to make it to the chipping area and the putting green. And I thought about it, and I thought, you know, he's he's probably he's right. <laughs> I mean, I'll get, I yeah. might puddle it for minutes or whatever, but I thought it was a great piece of advice. And Perry always talks about short game, always. And if we want to get better, I mean, let's face it. It 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 ta- I think I read one time it takes twenty one thousand swings to change your muscle memory. I don't have that many swings wow. left in my body. So (laughs) if I want to improve, if I want to get better, the only way to do it is your short game. You can, we all know you can, if you can, if you improve your chipping and your putting, it's, it isn't that hard to take four strokes off your score every round. Well, that's a big deal. I mean, it's a difference between shooting 87 and 83, which is a, it's a big difference. So I'm going to work on the the short answer is I'm going to work on my chip this winter. <laughs> Matthew, remind our listeners about how they can listen to your shows, plus follow you on social media as well. Um, my Twitter account is at Real Lauro, L-A-U-R-O, and the number five. Uh, Backspin Golf, as Chris always says, um, and we're eternally grateful for your support. Everybody that knows you and is connected to you in any way is that grateful um it's backspin golf it's on every sunday morning 
go to WLXG.com and hit listen live uh, or on the WLXG app. And uh, those are the best ways to find me. Well, Matthew, you're the best, my friend. I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy night to come and, and be a part of the show. It's uh, it's always a thrill, and it's always a lot of fun uh, when you come and join me here. Always, and you know how I feel about you. I love you, Chris. You're a great, great man. Thanks for having me. No, I love you, brother. Take care. Stay safe okay. out there. I look forward to catching up with you, you again too. soon. You too. See you, Matthew. See you. The great Matthew Lawrence at Real Lauro Five is uh, is his Twitter account, and uh, a finer individual you will not find anywhere. Uh, he's become a, a wonderful friend on and off the show. Um, and like you said, you know, we we got uh, to uh, tweeting back and forth years ago, and we've never met in person. Uh, but he's a, a very important person in my life, and uh, a great friend, and somebody that uh, has taught me an awful lot. So I feel very very fortunate to have met. Uh, both Mitch and Matthew Lawrence, uh, at least virtually, and uh, be able to count them uh, among my friends. Uh, they're two very, very special people, and I can't thank them enough. All right, before I get to my next guest, Mark Wiebe, I want to give a shout-out to a couple of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at Finn Cycles. It's time to rethink golf. The game is at a tipping point. The young people we need in the game don't have four and a half hours to spend out on the course. Pairing fin cycles with a desire to play ready golf can cut playing time in half because all golfers go directly to their own golf ball. Plus, it's tons of fun. Go online to finscooters.com and click on Find a Fin for a course that has them near you. I also want to give another shout-out to our friends over at the McLemore. The McLemore Mountaintop Community rests atop the highlands of Lookout Mountain, Georgia, overlooking historic McLemore Cove and Pigeon Mountain. Surrounded on all sides by state and national parks, historic land districts, and private land trusts. The resort features an 18-hole Reese Jones and Bill Bergen championship course, a gated residential community, and a planned clubhouse opening in the fall of 2020, plus planned hotel and conference center. The dramatic 18-hole course is made up of a variety of golf experiences, combining canyon holes, highland holes, cliff edge holes that are well-suited for the beginning golfer as well as the senior player. McLemore also offers a wonderful six-hole short course called the Karen, Designed by Bill Bergen, the Cairn provides players with a short warm-up or cool-down before or after a round, or a relaxing way to improve one's game with family and friends. McLemore is located a short driving distance from Atlanta, Nashville, Knoxville, Birmingham, and Huntsville, and just 35 minutes from downtown Chattanooga, voted number one best town in America two years in a row by Outside Magazine. While a private course, McLemore offers stay-and-play packages for guests in club-managed properties, as well as a number of membership opportunities, including social memberships, non-resident memberships, and corporate memberships as well. For more information, please visit McLemore online at themclemore.com or give them a call at 800-329-8154. All right, now back in making his ninth appearance with me is 2013 Senior Open Champion and one of the top instructors in the game now, Mark Wiebe. Let me remind you about Mark's background. He's from Seaside, Oregon, and grew up in Escondido, California. Played his college golf at Palomar Junior College and then transferred to San Jose State. While at Palomar, he was the individual medalist at the 1977 California Amateur, and he won the Idaho Amateur that year as well. He was named second-team All-American in 1979 at San Jose State. 
That season, he and Don Levin teamed together to win the Silverado Invitational in Napa, California. He turned pro in 1980 and started on the PGA Tour in 1983. Got his first career win at the 1985 Anheuser-Busch Classic when he beat John Mahaffey with a birdie on the first playoff hole. He won again the following year at the Hardy's Golf Classic by one shot over Kurt Byram, thanks to a birdie on the 17th hole during the final round. Mark matched Bobby Watkins' record for being the youngest winner on the Champions Tour at 50 years and 10 days old when he won the 2007 SAS Championship. In 2013, he won the Senior Open Championship at Royal Birkdale, defeating Bernhard Langer on the fifth playoff hole after a final round 66. He doubled down a few weeks later, winning the Pacific Lynx Hawaii Championship and a playoff over Corey Pavin. In all, he won eight times as a professional, twice on the PGA Tour, five times on the Champions Tour, plus the 1986 Colorado Open. He was inducted into the Colorado Golf Hall of Fame in 2011. You can now find him out in Scottsdale, Arizona. So, folks, if you're looking to take your game to the next level and you're anywhere near Scottsdale, reach out to Mark on his website, markweebygolf.com. And I'm thrilled he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Mark, how are you, my friend? Chris, I, I just have to say, night time. Yes. Wow, I'm. I feel like one of those guys on Saturday Night Live that ho- has hosted so many times. <laughs> I feel like I should be in a club or something. <laughs> Indeed, I can't believe you. Know, hey, look, I'm as honored as I could possibly be to be able to say you've been on the show eight previous times, and I get to have you for a night. So. You're outstanding, my friend. Thank you for uh, all your support over the years. Oh, you're you're way too nice. I, I appreciate being on and always a good time talking to you. So, Mark, I, I got to congratulate you for your son, Gunner. Gets, uh, gets a big win at the Assistant uh, PGA Professional Championship over the weekend. You got to be a proud dad. I am super proud. Uh, way exciting. It's a it's a long story, probably too long for the show, but uh, Gunner kind of said, okay, Dad, I need you to come, and, and you can't gallery, and you can't be out there during the tournament, but we can go down early, and I need some help with my game. So uh, we had a great trip out, uh, got there on a Sunday night, and I left on Tuesday night to come home. But we just kind of focused on his game and what it was going to take for him to, you know, have a successful tournament. And uh, lo and behold, he had a very successful tournament. So it's a, it was really fun for me, obviously, as his dad, but also as, as his coach. And he's my coach, and we have a great relationship outside of the father-son. So it was really a, a great time for me to be involved in a little way um, on just kind of steering them in the right direction. And we talked just great. We just had a great time together, although it's always short uh, when you're with your kids, especially during the COVID time. Uh, But we had a great time uh, together and talked about, like I said, what it was going to take to, you know, buy in this tournament, have a chance to win it. And like I said, wow, it's, it was so cool to see that all happen and see him stand up and and hopefully uh, he uh, 
learned everything, and I, I learned always. I always learned, but uh, just to watch him reach his goal, his ultimate goal for the week was fantastic. And like I said, to be just a small part of that was even made it more special for me. Oh, good for you. Mark, I got I got to have you answer something for me. I had Owen Brown on the first segment tonight, and uh, as uh, we were parting ways at the end of uh, our, our conversation, he said, hey, say hi to Weeb for me, and, and just start out the conversation by saying, hey, man, he'll know what it means. Yeah. What, is, well, what does that mean? Olin and I and Steve Pace, these are, you have to be a golfer to know these names, but Olin and I and Steve Pace, for whatever reason, each time we saw each other, it was always, hey, man, how's it going? Hey, man, hey, man. So we, we called it kind of unofficially the Hey Man Club. And uh, we've, we've been saying, saying that together for I don't know how many years now. We're getting older. Uh, but this dates back to the tour life, not just the senior tour. Uh, but we've just been kind of buddies for that long. That's what golf does for you. It's such a great game in that way that, it, you know, you have you create these friendships. Uh, I, I heard you say that you haven't met someone on your, on your earlier segment, but you've texted back and forth and you're dear friends. Isn't that something? That golf can do that. So, yeah. uh, Steve. Steve Pate, Olin Brown, and myself were, were the three amigos to the A-Man Club. And, uh, you know, Olin's a dear friend of mine and will be forever, and so is Steve Pate. So uh, I'm honored to be with them in the A-Man Club that nobody even knows about. <laughs> well, let's talk about another exclusive club. As I was doing some more research on you, back in 1989 at the U.S. Open at Oak Hill, you... Doug Weaver, Jerry Payton, and Nick Price all made hole-in-ones on the par 3-6 hole in about a two-hour span of time. You're now the four aces out there. Talk about that. Well, uh, wow, I have tons of emotions about that. Uh, first and foremost is we're in the Hall of Fame for that, so isn't that something um, that's just kind of a coup? Uh, but, you know, I, I, I play, obviously I played that morning. And uh, I, I heard it was an hour and 50 minutes, four aces. And I heard the first two because it's the sixth hole and I was on the course. So, and you know where it's coming from. You know the course and you know, and the, when the first one happens, you go, oh, hole in one on six. Because you know where it's, you know, the direction that, that the cheers are coming from and, so, you you know, you go, oh, that's cool, and then you play a hole or two or however long it was, and then you hear another roar, and you kind of look at each other like, wow, that sounded like the same spot. It sounds like it's over on six, but it might be five. It was second shot over water, and it might be dramatic, but then you kind of hear it through the through all the gallery and, the, you know, the hole officials on their walkie-talkies going, hey, another hole in one, and yada yada and I'm, we're all kind of going wow that's crazy so uh i'm playing number five and i i made a, a bonehead move and i hit it in the water on my second shot and i was very angry at myself and uh i made a double bogey and i walked to the 6t and i didn't want to talk to anybody i was i was 
really, for me, I was pretty angry with myself because it wasn't a, you know, golfers, we can, we can tolerate bad breaks and, and, uh, and this and that, but when it's a mental error, uh, it's hard because we're the only, we're the only ones in charge of our mental error. There's no one else we can blame. It's, Inevitably, it's us. So I went to that next tee, and I had made a bad mental error, and I was so mad at myself that I, I, could, I didn't even hardly talk to my caddy. He gave me the yardage, and I remember hitting my shot. I hit a great shot, and, I, and obviously it went in. Uh, I was the third of the four aces. And I remember handing Cameron Whittle, my caddy at the time, my seven iron, and I said, well, that takes care of that double bogey, doesn't it? So I didn't even rejoice at the time that I was one of three at the time to make a hole-in-one. I was still so mad at losing two shots in the event, the major championship that I'm playing in. All I could think about was, well, I got those two shots back. didn't matter how I got them back. I'm, I'm trying to buy in this tournament and, and, and beat something in. I, w- I will also say I, I wish I had that to do over again because I probably rejoiced a little bit more in the moment, maybe not be so hard on myself. But you know what? Hindsight's twenty twenty. So uh, uh, anyway, yes, I am one of those four knuckleheads that made a hole in one. It's a great bar bet because you're going to know. I'm sure it is. Uh, uh, and you're going to know all, and Nick Price, obviously, and then you might know me. From I, I had won at the time. I had won a couple tournaments. Doug Weaver, no chance you're going to know who that is. So although I I know Doug, obviously I played with, uh, many tours with him and stuff. I knew exactly who it was. But as a bar bat, you're not going to come up with that name. Mark, we're obviously talking a lot about the Masters tonight on the show, and you had an opportunity to play in the tournament a few times. What are some of your favorite memories from uh, playing at Augusta National? Well, I will tell you, uh, you know, I, that's my that's the major I played in the fewest times. Uh, I only played in three Masters, although some people would say only. It's a lot, but you know, when you look at guys that have played years and years and years and years, uh, I'm just a rookie. Uh, but I will tell you that the the air is so thick um, with spirit and golf. And uh, that it's hard to take a breath. I will. I'm not. I'm not making that up. That's a. It's a. It's a different feeling than I've had anywhere. And I think maybe it's because I watched it on TV my whole childhood. Um, I was nervous at all the majors, the PGA, the U.S. Open, and the British, but never liked the Masters. I, Masters had had more of a. Uh, <clears throat> wow. Uh, undefined. I wasn't. I don't know if I was scared, but I was out of my element. I didn't get it. I didn't. I didn't know why I was feeling like this. And uh, that's that's what that brought to me. And I will tell you, by the third time I played, I actually felt kind of normal. Um, I think I played my best for a few rounds. I still had that one round that guys are shooting 65, and I'm thinking, I I don't know how to cheat shoot that long. So uh, I I was just trying to, you know, tread water, I guess. I, I just never had the game 
uh, I, I didn't think anyway to play that golf course and, and have a chance to win. And I, I, I will say in all the other tournaments I played in, I always felt like, you know, if I played good, I had a chance to, to be in contention at the end. And I never saw myself at Augusta in the Masters. I never visualized that. I never pictured it. I, it was hard for me. Uh, it's, it's not an easy golf course. I mean, the, the players now make, make it look so easy. I mean, watching Dustin Johnson this week, and, and not just him. He, I mean, obviously he played better than everyone else, but so many players. It seems like there's 13 is an easy re- reach it in two hole, and all you have to do is this, and that all you have to do part is not as easy as TV makes it look. It just makes it look so automatic. And, oh, yeah, they all hit good drives on 13 and 15, and they all hit a big drive and hook it on 14 and have a little club in. That's just not true. And it's too bad because, you know, we all see the people that are playing the greatest, but uh, Augusta's not easy. Although, although in watching it this year in November, which is even silly to say, uh, totally a different golf course than the one I watched on TV and the one I played three times. Um, very softer, way slower greens until maybe on late Saturday and then Sunday, I think they had some speed. Uh, but, but flying the ball pin high on 11, you know, with an iron shot and having it down the green, uh, that stuff just didn't happen when I was playing. I, I, I don't think it happened for anyone. We all had to kind of make it curve as it after it hit the ground we had to make it curve towards the hole so it wouldn't go over or in a bunker or in the water <laughs> you know it was it was so demanding and not that it's not demanding now but it is a i i really felt like this is a different augusta uh the thing that's so cool about that is you had number one still winning it so it's incredible uh, how that all works out, and what what great golf uh, Dustin Johnson played, unbelievable. And Mark, to your point, how difficult was it, or how long did it take you to learn, you know, how to hit those greens, where to hit it on those greens, and then how to putt those greens? Well, that's the deal. I mean, you know, a little bit of that is luck. We all try to hit it below the cup on certain holes, and Augusta has more certain holes than other courses. So, I mean, it's imperative if you want to play aggressive to be able to putt uphill if you can, because even those are fast, uh, to do that. But but you're also back there uh, in the fairway, hopefully, with an iron shot that you're hoping you can get it have an uphill putt. You're also hoping to get it on because it could take a ramp and be off the green and be into a shot you have never practiced. Or if you have, it hasn't been very long. So there, there's all that's lurking. So as you're over your second shot, you know that in the back of your mind what's lurking up there. Um, and it's, it's, it's hard. It's a lot of pressure on each shot. Um, I think in today's golf, there's more uh, – I'm going to go for it, and if I do it right, I'm going to win, and I might win by a lot. And if I don't, oh, well, there's always next year. So 
I, I, I do see a lot of a lot more guys playing so aggressive and, and at the at the just at the end of their game. And I feel like when I played, I think there was maybe more of let's see how things go. The first two rounds, you're kind of adjusting and and organizing your way into the weekend on what you you know for your score, not only just to be in the hunt, but just for your score. And it, it just is so demanding. And, and I got to tell you, it's spiritually, it's a thick, it's a thick air situation. It's, it, it, it feels like it's ghostly in a way. Um, whereas the PGA, the U.S. Open, and, and the British had that same mystique to it. It just didn't kind of grab you so much. It just, uh, um, they all have their their own amount in, in the scheme of things. But uh, I think Augusta, because we saw so much of it on TV as a child, I, I watched it. You know, I watched Tom Weisskopf was my favorite golfer, and I watched Jack beat him so many times. And, you know, my life crumbled for a couple of days. And, uh, anyway, I, I, I think that that's what brings on that uh, mystique or whatever that word is that I'm searching for uh, on Augusta, but I have to tell you, isn't it great? Wasn't it great to watch in our COVID times? Wasn't it so cool to see golf, you know, even without a gallery? It was so fun for me. I, Indeed. I it was fantastic. So, Mark, why was Weisskopf your guy? You know, I'm not sure. I, I think because he was taller, and I'm six three. So I, I seem to be, as a golfer anyway, uh, one of the taller guys um, all through junior golf and and even college golf. I was one of the taller guys and many tours and tour. And, uh, so I, I think I just kind of watched. It was at the time that Jack was the guy. And I watched this guy, Tom Weisskopf, that was taller, and he had this swing that was un, uh, mesmerizing and looked like it was so efficient, and he could never hit a bad shot, heaven forbid. Um, and he just carried himself in a way that was uh, – was there was something about him. Uh, the funny thing is, years go by, so I'm a Weisskopf guy. Years go by, and I'm playing with his little brother, Dan, in the college tournament, and Tom came out to watch his little brother, Dan, who I'm playing with, and then I walked with Tom Weisskopf in a college tournament for, I don't know, the last five or six holes and just asked wow. him questions. And all of a sudden, the college tournament meant zero to me, um, although it meant a lot. I, I was so into, kept telling myself, I'm walking with Tom Weisskopf. I'm asking him questions, and he's answering. I think I called my dad that night and said, hey, guess what I did today? You know, no big deal, but guess what I did? Uh, so the times like that are uh, are priceless, aren't they? Indeed. And Mark, you have a uh, a special connection to another golf course that's hosted major championship, Cherry Hills Country Club, there in uh, your home state of Colorado. And as I was going back, uh, like I said, doing research on you, um, going back to the PGA Championship that was held there in 1985. You're playing in a in a major. You're playing in a golf tournament, and then afterwards you're getting in the car looking for a house to buy there. 
Talk about your decision yeah. that you wanted to live there. Well, uh, you know, we had my wife's sister and her husband and two small kids were living there at the time. And, uh, and my wife's uncle and aunt were living in Colorado Springs. So, uh, I, you know, here I am, a Southern California boy, and Kathy and I are trying to figure out a place we might like to live. And we've got family there and love Colorado. All you have to do is go there and realize how much you love it. And uh, so we've said, you know what, the PGA is here. Let's use this time to look for a house. And, uh, you know, as fate would have it, that was our first place we bought. I think as after we were married, we bought a little uh, townhome um, in Colorado, in Denver, outside of Denver, in Highland Ranch, and that was just the first. That was the first part of 30 years living in Colorado. So uh, it all started with getting into the PGA. Now, if I don't play in the PGA, do we end up living there? Who knows? Uh, but I do remember. And then I end up becoming a member at Cherry Hill, which actually adds to the irony of the whole thing. Um, you know, it's one of those I knew the right guy that was the right guy, and he sponsored me, and I was I got into Cherry Hills and was a member there for 30 years, and absolutely one of the greatest times of not just my life, but our our family's life. Our kids grew up, you know, playing golf and swimming and taking being on the diving team, the swimming team, the tennis team, the golf team, uh, and doing it all right there at Cherry Hills. It was a great uh, time for my wife and I to raise our kids and uh, some some precious uh, memories for us. Mark, that same year of 1985, you get your first PGA Tour victory at the Anheuser-Busch Classic. I'm curious, were, were you prepared for what it was going to be like? Did it change your life a lot when you became a winner on tour? Were you prepared for that? Well, you know, I was not prepared. I, I didn't know. I, I, I just knew that I was pretty good, and I knew I could win. And, you know, my wife and I had just gotten married in 84, so we were, uh, you know, embarking on a new adventure here. And, uh and so I just I, I knew that you know I was a good golfer. That's what I knew, and I and we just went out and you know back in the day it it, it sounds like I'm such a geezer, but I mean it was it was so back in the day. A couple examples, for instance, um, through our having kids and stuff, we actually took 13 pieces of luggage uh, on a plane at one time. Can you imagine nowadays wow. doing something like that? I know it. So, uh, but to answer your question, no, you know, I, I don't know if you're ever prepared. I, I, I think maybe some guys are that expect to win. I, I just never expected to win. I always thought I was good enough to win. I worked pretty hard and I'm a pretty good golfer, but you know, so is everyone else. So, you know, you, you need the stars to line up a little bit, uh, and you need to have a nice week of luck and you need to be on the ball and have to be, you know, biorhythms have to be on and you have to be mentally prepared and all the cliche things that go along with it. Uh, but I, I don't think I was ever ready. And then all of a sudden, that's the weird thing about golf is each, whether you're ready or not, when that last putt sinks, 
by somebody, it's over. But you go from a, a four or five hour period of or, or more because you're on the range to maybe a six or seven hour uh, intense mental uh, grind. And then when it ends, it ends with a putt, either your putt or somebody else's putt, uh, but it's over. So uh, I don't know if you prepared. I, I mean, I never prepared myself for the victory speech or um, what I was going to say or what I was going to feel. I just wanted to play, and um, and and then all of a sudden it happened. And you know, one of my favorite uh, things to say in life is when you least expect it, things happen. When you expect it doesn't seem to happen but when you least expect it is when it shows itself and I think in that point I, I think I if, if I remember right I had missed five cuts in a row but I really liked my game and, and it was like my wife is going you, you sure you like it sure. <laughs> it's good because <laughs> you keep missing the cuts here and I'm like the same I'm going ah, I thought I was I feel pretty good but uh and then all of a sudden, you know, it's like I said, that it's not just the stars align. You just become into that that place. And if you're comfortable in that place, uh, then great. And and I found that I was comfortable in uh, – I found more fun in being in the hunt than out of the hunt. And I think during that week of my first win, I think I realized I really like this. Uh, I like that feeling. doesn't – it, it drives me, gives me a tickle that I've been looking for. So uh, it wasn't just the win, it was being in the hunt and, and then being able to, to close the door on it, obviously, is unbelievable. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I hope that answers that. Yeah, it does. So, so let's fast forward a year because you win again the following year at the Hardy's Golf Classic. So did that validate for you and, and, and for everybody else, for that matter, that was playing out on tour that 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 previous win it wasn't a fluke and you belonged at the you know not only on tour but you belonged amongst the guys that uh, could win week in or week out at that point yeah i without a doubt Chris, uh i will tell you and i i don't mean to belittle or or anything on my anheuser-busch plastic that was an incredible win i will never forget my first win it was unbelievable but i will tell you to me the second win validates the first win a little bit more and uh, as a player you you i i don't think we ever think we're lucky uh but as a player you you kind of are saying you know even if you thought it was lucky the first time well i did it again so am i lucky again so you're you're kind of uh you're kind of uh pounding your chest a little bit, I guess, and saying, I, I am here. I am here, and I am here to stay. So anybody that thought I was lucky the first time, yeah, well, I'm back again. That's what I felt. I'm not, I don't know if everybody felt that way, but I really did feel like the second win on tour validated so much in my mind that I wasn't just a lucky winner. I was a multiple winner. That that changed my life quite a bit. And after that Hardy's Classic, uh, the Buick Open 
was the next tournament the following week. But you decided to go back to your home state and play in the Colorado Open instead. And I and I read it might not have been uh, a popular decision amongst everybody not to go to the next you know event on tour to go back to Colorado. Talk about why you decided to go play there as, instead of going on to the Buick Open. Well, that, that's such a nice question, bud. Um, you know, uh, I live in Colorado at the time. I had committed to the Colorado Open. I had just won a tour event. It's a big deal for me to go play in the Colorado Open, and I, I knew that. Sure. It would have been a great idea for me to go on and maybe win another tour event. But I had made a commitment to my home state of their Open. And I talked about it with my wife, talked about it with my agent, and it was unanimous. There's one thing to do here, and that is to come home, play in the Colorado Open, honor my commitment, and answer every question everyone has to ask, and do everything I can to make that Colorado Open uh, more special than the other. So it, it was, I, I mean, I, I gave a lot of thought to that because, you know, selfishly you're going, yeah, I got stuff going on here. I, I want to go, I want to go play and I want to continue and extend my streak and stuff. There's, there's times that you just need to do the right thing. And that was the right, that was the right thing to do. For sure. And who would have thought it, but I won. So it, it really, and then I gave half my check to uh, Craig Hospital. So it, it became a, uh, what a great decision, as it turns out. Again, hindsight. Uh, it turned out to be a great decision in our community and for the tournament and for Craig Hospital. So it was, it was an awesome time. Take that a half a step further, Mark. Talk about Craig Hospital and your special attachment to it. Well, you know what? When we moved to Colorado, you know, you're always trying to get involved in the community. And I, I'm not a I'm not a big boisterous guy that says hey and blows the horns and everything. Look at me, what I'm doing here. We just did things in a subtle way, and that's my wife and I. That's the way we roll. Uh, so in fact. Um, I just was, I was, I couldn't believe the money you, for one thing, I, I was so young and in looking back, I couldn't believe the money you could make for certain uh, foundations and or charities through playing golf. I just couldn't get over it. And uh, to be able to, to honor Craig Hospital in a way that they were one of the sponsors of the golf tournament and me, and, and listen, being, a resident and, and part of the community made a big difference to Kathy and I. We just wanted to be involved. So uh, it, it turned out to be, um, we, we just were honored. And, you know, when I, when I did it, I won the tournament and did all the fanfare and all the stuff you do after. And then I actually went in, I don't know, an hour or so after the event went into the tournament uh, trailer and, and told them what I'd like to do and they, they couldn't believe it. And there was no media around because they had all left and I said, this isn't about the media. This is just about helping. So, Mark, it was, it was a special time for sure. 
Mark, one more before I let you go, and I and I want to get uh, a playing lesson from you because you're such a wonderful instructor of the game now. And and for those of us that are struggling with short range putts, maybe we've got the yips, whatever it might be. Talk about what we can do in order to make more of those, you know, four or five footers, those sort of knee knockers that we need to make. How can we shave some strokes off our scores by thinking more of those putts? Well, you know, we all know that it comes down to that, right? That's how golf is. It comes down to that little knee knocker, no matter how long it is. Some people are good at two feet and they're bad at three feet. Some people don't like four footers. Some people don't like eight footers, whatever your case is. Uh, There's just, you know, there's some mental preparation that goes into this. Nothing is easy. Um, But, you you know, I'm 63 now. I have hit. Uh, I don't even know how many putts. I'm a, I love putting. I'm a great putter, um, and I love the, that part of the game. I love that uh, I can save myself always. So if I can get the ball around the course and keep it inbounds and out of the water, I'm probably going to have a pretty good round because I can chip and putt. So uh, my mind was always on if I get it to a certain point, I know how to execute. And I, I think people, uh, because and maybe because of watching TV, they put so much emphasis on putts and what they mean. And I, I had a, a coach of mine who's a dear friend of mine, Tommy Sanderson, who, when I was a youngster, said, well, if you take that much time on that putt on four than you did on five. And I said, well, I really wanted to make it on four. And he said, don't you really want to make them all? And that stuck with me pretty hard. And he's right. I want to make them all. So I treat every putt. I don't put a value on putts. I don't, I don't say that this is for a bogey or a birdie or an eagle or a double or a 10 or whatever. It's just this putt. And if we, if it, if we boil it down to, let's say, let's just say it's a six-foot putt. And don't you want to make all of your six-foot putts, regardless of what they mean at the end? doesn't yes. matter what they're for. I just want to make that six-footer. So I became uh, entrenched in this idea of making these six-footers. And I, I never, I can promise you, in all of my tournaments that play, Never was I over a putt thinking what it was for, ever, ever. I always thought, I want to make this putt because I'm a good putter. And this is a six-foot putt. It's an eight-foot putt. It's a four-foot putt. Whatever. I'm a good putter. I don't ever want to miss this, and I don't care what it's for. I may have hit five balls out of bounds, and it's for a 13. I still want to make that putt at the end. So I think I – think you know, in all the programs I've played, as you know, Chris, for years and years and years and years in pro-am, I do see amateurs put value on the end. And I'm like, yeah, the value is I want to make this. I don't, I don't care what it gives me. I want to make it regardless what it gives me because it's, I want people to say great putt. It doesn't matter what it was for. It was a great putt. So I'm hoping that answers your question. And absolutely does. Mark, before I let you go, like I mentioned, you're a wonderful instructor now, and you're out in Scottsdale, Arizona. 
for people anywhere near there that would love to come and get a lesson from you. Talk about how they can do it. Well, the best way is to go to my website because that has all my information on it, and that is markweebygolf.com. Thank you, Chris, for for that. Uh, you know, you can get my website. I think even my phone number's on there. So if you have any questions, uh, I'm teaching here in the Valley. Love it. Uh, I I do not have one place yet that I'm teaching. I'm looking for that. So if that were to come about, that would be fantastic. I've done a couple clinics and a couple uh, private outings here in the Valley and love what I'm doing. Love sharing the things I've learned over the years. And uh, I, I I don't have a method to my madness. I just, I just feel like I can make you shoot a lower score. And that's, that's kind of my catchphrase. You know, if you want to get better, come and see me. I can make you better. Well, Mark, you uh, coming and being a part of this show now nine times has made this show better. So I know you can make people's golf games better. I can't thank you enough for your friendship and your support. You are just one of the absolute gems on this planet. I can't thank you enough for uh, coming back and being a part of the show again tonight. And I'm uh, already looking forward to show number 10. You're awesome, Chris. I, 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 I just enjoy being with you and you ask great questions and, and I love the conversation. So thanks so much for having me on. Absolutely. Mark, stay safe out there, my friend. All the best to you and your family. Look forward to catching up again soon. See you, Mark. All right, bud. That's the great Mark Wiebe. So folks, and W-I-E-B-E is the spelling of his last name. So com is his website. Um, you're anywhere near Scottsdale. You want to take your game to the next level, go see a major champion and let him work on your game because he's going to get you there. Absolutely. What a fantastic uh, individual Mark is and a great player and an even greater teacher. So uh, you've got it all there, right? Total package. Great guy, great teacher, great player. He's going to help you out. So looking forward to catching up with Mark again, hopefully real soon. All right, my friends, it is time for us to put a bow on this episode of Next on the Team. My sincere thanks again to Olin Brown, Matthew Lawrence, and Mark Wiebe for joining me. Please check out our website, nextonthetea.net, to keep up to date with what our guest schedule looks like. And we are down to our final show of 2020, and that's going to be next week. So, And we're going to go out in style now uh, by being joined by our resident director of instruction, Tom Patry. Of course, we're going to go out with TP. Uh, former tour player Nick O'Hearn will be back on the show, as will former NHL star and celebrity tour champion Dan Quinn. Dan, a great friend of the show, former Penguin, played for a lot of different organizations in the NHL, and then a, a great golfer, went out on the celebrity tour and uh, won many, many times. So looking forward to having Dan back as part of the show as well. Folks, you can stream this show as a podcast on a number of great sites and apps like Podcast.co, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audioboom, Player.fm, Radio.com. We're on Amazon Music now. So if you've got a favorite podcasting site, we're likely on it. Just do a, a search for Next on the T. And folks, as always, I can't thank you enough for choosing to listen to this show tonight. We really appreciate the fact that you are continuing to make us a part of your golfing content. Until next week, my friends. 
Hit them straight. Is this the year you want to grow your business? Do you want to expand your team? Build a new office? Hey, it's Tug, and I want to tell you about First Liberty Building and Loan. Aren't you exhausted by going to lenders, building a relationship, and a week later, you're dealing with a new person? You won't have to with First Liberty Building and Loan. The Frost family has been helping businesses grow since the 90s, and they can help you too. They know the patterns, they know the ebbs and flows, and they know business. Now the Frost family wants to know you. FirstLibertyGA.com. Buying a building, building a building, buying a franchise, or expanding. Reach out and spend 10 minutes with them. See if you're a fit for them and if they're a fit for you. FirstLibertyGA.com. By the way, if you're a young banker and you want to work with a team that's faith-friendly with a culture of excellence, First Liberty might be a good match. Reach out to First Liberty Building and Loan at FirstLibertyGA.com. That's FirstLibertyGA.com.